In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey, Rob, it's Joe, and I just want to call to give you props. You're the only dude I've heard in all the podcasts I've listened to that uses species instead of race. I was listening to the second part of your BX deep dive, and you said species a few times, which is exactly correct. Race is ridiculous. It's a social construct. It doesn't exist. But even if it did, they are elves, hobbits, uh, and dwarves are absolutely different species. So way to stay true to kings play chess on green squares. Kingdom, phylum, class, order, genus, species. I don't see race in there at all, man. So way to keep it scientific, dude, <laughs> in a fantasy game. Anyway, man, keep it up, dude. I'll talk to you again. Peace out. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Down in the Heat podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful northeast Minneapolis. And there we heard from Joe from the Hindsightless and Wheeler Woe podcast. Giving me props. I love it. I don't get props very often, or at least people don't say that to me. Uh, but yeah, that uh, first, thanks for the memory aid uh, for remembering that. Uh, I love those types of things. And second, I think there are some terms in gaming that have just become so ingrained that people don't even really think about it. I know Colin Green on Spike Pit has talked about how the term game mechanics should really be game mechanisms, but everyone just says mechanics. And uh, I think the same thing is kind of happened with race rather than species. But I really do and should try and use species more because I think it would help the players really uh, realize that they're playing a different species. They're not just humans with pointy ears or short humans with a beard or wee little folk that are just like humans except they're small and maybe have furry feet and eat a lot. So thanks for the call and I'll try and keep this show a little more brief than the past few but let's continue the BX deep dive. All right, I left off part two of the BX Deep Dive with finishing up on the classes. I should mention, though, that there was one piece of artwork there, I think by David S. LaForce, showing a group of characters that are meant to show, uh, I think, most of the classes. There's six figures shown, and it's not altogether clear if one is an elf or a magic user, because she looks kind of elfy, but is only wearing a sort of dress and holding a crystal ball. Doesn't look like she has any kind of weapons or anything on her. So maybe she's supposed to be a magic user and an elf isn't pictured. But there's a, a cleric who has a, <laughs> a cross for a holy symbol. Hmm. And is holding a cudgel that's projecting some light. There's a, a dwarf, a fighter with his arms crossed. Looks like he's just kind of posing for a picture. Looking off in the distance a thief that has a big hooded cowl, and then in the foreground, a halfling wearing a chain shirt, and it looks like a pair of underoos or something. <laughs> it kind of looks like he's got some superhero thing holding a bow and stuff, but um, I better tend to Herm. He's wanting to go out on the porch. 
And that brings us to the topic of alignment. The Mulvey Cookmarsh BX system uses the three-point alignment system that was introduced in original D&D, so it's just law, neutrality, and chaos. And I don't know, it's, uh, it's something that can be beneficial, but more often, I think, is detracting from the game and just causes strife and arguments at the table. But it was definitely a big part, or meant to be a big part, of the old versions of D&D. And Moldvay describes it as a basic way of life that guides the acts of both player characters and monsters. Now, law basically just boils down to this sentence. Lawful behavior is usually the same as behavior that could be called good. <laughs> and chaos is just the opposite. Chaotic behavior is usually the same as behavior that could be called evil. But then they backpedal in different sections and water things down and say, well, chaos isn't always evil. And neutrality just kind of walks the line between those two. And But they also have that kind of cosmic balance kind of thing mentioned where they believe that it should be a balance of law and chaos. I tend to think of neutral as more as just disinterested or or something, but I don't know. I mean, I can get into this, and the three-point alignment system is something that I think some people like because it is hazy and gray and isn't quite as much of a straitjacket when you choose one of these alignments. To those people, I usually say, well, why don't you just play neutral then? I tend, when I have used alignment systems, I always liked the nine-point from advanced a lot better just because it's more detailed. But these days... I don't use alignment at all anymore. Like I said, it just has become something I realized was more of a burden and created arguments and strife at the table more than anything. So I've kicked it to the curb. I just, I use it, but only for NPCs and monsters as kind of a rough uh, sort of behavioral shorthand. Now, the other aspect that comes into play in... Uh, in BX is the idea of alignment languages. And this is something that I don't think I've ever used in gaming, nor I really don't remember it coming up even way back in the 80s when we were first starting to play. It just always seemed kind of strange. And they describe it as a secret language of passwords, hand signals, and other body motions. <laughs> so I don't know if you've... Break into some kind of interpretive dance or, or what? But uh, player characters and intelligent monsters will always know their alignment language. They will also recognize when another alignment language is being spoken, but will not understand. Alignment languages are not written down, nor maybe they, nor maybe uh, they be learned unless a character changes alignment. When this happens, the character forgets the old alignment language and starts using the new one immediately. So some kind of like magical thing? I don't... It's all really kooky to me. Uh, there is an example of alignment behavior where they just outline a situation where a group of player characters is attacked by a large number of monsters. Escape is not possible unless the monsters are slowed down. A lawful character will fight to protect the group. Whatever the danger, the character will not turn and run away unless the whole group does. So I guess there's just no room for cowards in law. 
Um, a neutral character will fight to protect the group as long as it is reasonably safe to do so. If the danger gets too great, the character will try to save himself or herself, even at the expense of the party. A chaotic character might fight the monsters or might run away. Their character will not care what happens to the rest of the party. <laughs> so, I don't know. There's also a picture here with three people, uh, and so there's one guy crouched down holding a bound and gagged goblin, I think, and he's got an angry look on his face and has a dagger in his hand, which another character is holding back, so he's preventing the one character from stabbing the prisoner. So presumably the, the stabber is the chaotic guy. The guy holding him back is lawful. And then there's one guy, Mr. Nonchalant, leaning up against the wall with his arms crossed, looking in the other direction, and that's Mr. Neutral. So that kind of is another illustration of how some of the alignments might work. Now, they go out of their way and say that um, you have to tell the DM what your alignment is, but you don't have to truthfully tell the other players what your alignment is. Uh, it's interesting that they seem to be almost introducing this player versus player kind of uh, dynamic into the game. And they also say that... Uh, the characters should know that chaotics cannot be trusted even by other chaotics. A chaotic character does not work well with other player characters. So they're they're kind of at one on speaking out of both sides of their mouth, cautioning you that chaotics are not to be trusted, but then almost uh, saying that you but you can lie to the other players and <laughs> about your alignment. I, I don't know, it's goofy. And it closes by saying saying that. Note that playing in alignment does not mean a character must do stupid things. Something that's overlooked by a lot of uh, early, well, beginning role players, I think. The whole idea of the lawful stupid paladin or the chaotic neutral idiot that, you know, just does bizarre and strange stupid things because oh, I'm chaotic neutral. All right. And you might be saying to yourself, but Rob, what about the how alignment affects some of the spells detect evil and protection from evil and things like that. And as we'll see when we get to the spell section, in BX, the alignment isn't really a trigger for those types of things. It's more detecting evil intent um, rather than a specific alignment. And protection from evil is protecting you against yeah, things of a different alignment than you. So I suppose that might come into play, but you could... You could easily brush that aside and just say it uh, protects you against people that are trying to hurt you. Um, I don't know. The whole idea of alignment, I've noodled with the, the idea of almost revamping the cleric and rather than having them serve individual deities, um, leave that to the lay people and the, the mundanes and the clerics are you know, revamped as champions of law or champions of chaos, and they're more akin to paladins than, than clerics, in large part because I, I just think that clerics are usually so poorly played in my games, and as I alluded to, I think the idea of having a, a cleric of a god of war that essentially has the same powers as a cleric of a god of fertility or 
a god of storms or whatever. I mean, the, there's just too many manifestations that require, would if you did want to individualize them and make them seem more unique, you'd either A, have to have a very small pantheon so that it wouldn't, you wouldn't have to detail dozens upon dozens of different cleric styles, or um, you just have to uh, have this, this idea of a champion of law or chaos. I think that seems to be easier to me, having three templates, maybe four templates or something like that. But moving on. Next thing is equipment. And in BX, everything is listed in gold pieces. Nothing in the equipment guide um, is cheaper than one gold piece, which kind of creates a pretty wonky economy. Um, there's a lot of things messed up <laughs> here, or at least that I see as really messed up. Uh, chief among them are the prices for armor. Now, I understand that the one thing that's going to save your bacon in BX, where you have potentially very few hit points, you're unlikely to start the game with you know more than six hit points, even if you're a fighter. And the absolute maximum you could have is if you rolled an 18 for Constitution and then rolled an 8 on your hit die, you could have 11 hit points. But the mathematical probabilities of that are probably in the neighborhood of like 0.1%. Um, so, yeah, not going to happen, really. So you have to rely on armor to protect you. So they, well, this is my theory, they depress the price of armor so that you could start out with things like plate and shield pretty easily and have a two-armor class. And yes, BX uses the kind of kooky idea of descending armor class, so when you have a plus-one suit of magic armor, that actually gives you a minus-one on your armor class. Anyway... Again, people have gone into that uh, ad nauseum on different podcasts and blog posts, and it's easy to convert it to ascending armor if you like it that way. Um, but the equipment itself, the plate mail is only a mere 60 gold pieces, chain mail is a mere 40 gold pieces, yet three wooden stakes and a wooden mallet cost three gold pieces. A quart of wine is a gold piece. So... The equivalency there is so strange. The price of a suit of plate mail is the same as 60 quarts of wine. That's either some really uh, high-quality wine that's been cellared for years upon years or something, um, or, I don't know, steel is abundant and craftsmen are, I don't know, maybe they have some kind of Ford assembly line for plate mail or something. Um... Other kind of strange things that you find in here, tinder boxes, such as flint steel and some tinder in a little box. That's three gold pieces for a piece of flint and a piece of, <laughs> piece of steel, which is the same as a crafted spear or dagger. <sighs> strange. One thing I do like, though, is in, in the expert set, it actually does spell out how a tinder box is used. It takes one round and you succeed on lighting something on a 1 or 2 on a d6. I don't remember that ever being spelled out in AD&D. I could be wrong. Um, another goofy thing. A canoe costs 50 gold pieces and can carry 
6,000 coins of cargo. A ship's, ship's lifeboat costs 1,000 gold pieces and can only carry 15,000 coins, so uh, two and a half times more than the canoe in cargo. But you could buy 200 canoes for the price of one uh, ship's lifeboat. Uh, you know, granted, the ship, ship's lifeboat is probably seaworthy and, uh, and can hold 10 people and has a collapsible sail. But still, I don't know why it would cost 200 times the price of a canoe. Uh, a grappling hook is 25 gold pieces. <laughs> really? That's as much as buying a sword and a two-handed sword for a grappling hook. Yeah. So there's some definite problems with the prices. They do list a lot of different things, though, in in the expert set expands upon the price list. So they have um, land transports, you know, wagons, mules, uh, gear for that. They have a lot of different... uh, watercraft listed they have catapults listed barding for horses etc but it's by no means as complete a list of gear as you find in something like AD&D or Castles and Crusades or something but but it's you find most of what you need um, moving on the idea of languages so uh, like most D&D there's this concept of a common tongue that is the lingua franca of whatever world you're on, and everyone seems to speak it. All the, the demi-humans start out speaking it. All the humans speak it. Uh, even monsters that speak their own language um, have a 20% chance of also speaking common. They do list uh, 20 different languages here in the, the basic set, what you might expect, a lot of humanoid languages, the demi-human languages, including halfling, and halflings in the character description aren't listed as knowing halfling, but they probably should. But then there's some weird ones too, like doppelganger, and gargoyle, harpy, and medusa. (laughs) How many characters do you think will take, will choose medusa as one of their languages? They also do have human dialect listed, which I think is something that is underplayed in a lot of different uh, game worlds. I like the idea of having, like our world, a lot of different human languages. It does become problematic, and I think people eventually just get tired of, oh, no, I don't know this barbarian tribal language. Um, And there's, you know, 15 of them. I don't, no one's ever going to know that, and you wind up using comprehend languages or something, but um, I don't know. I like the realism of it. How it translates to the game table is a little bit more problematic. Likewise, the idea of fluency isn't present at all here. You just either know the languages or you don't. You don't have any degree of skill with it. There's no mention of literacy. There's no mention of whether or not the language even has a written form. But it's a, it's an interesting list that they have. Then there's also, finishing up the character chapter, there's the idea of an inheritance where uh, a player whose character dies can uh, bequeath all their worldly possessions to their next character. <laughs> there is a 
local inheritance tax of 10% that's processed on it. And uh, it says here you should only limit, or the, this inheritance should only occur once per player. So you, <laughs> I guess you can't have um, six different brothers or cousins or something that you have this line of inheritance to. It's, it's a one-shot deal, rules is written. It wraps up with the idea of hopeless characters, where you sometimes a player may roll up a character who is below average in every ability, or who has more than one very low, three to six, ability score, such as a fighter with very low dexterity and constitution. The DM may declare the character to be not suited for dangerous adventure, and the player may be allowed to roll up a new character in place of the hopeless one. Yeah, I personally think that... I mean, you should let the player decide if they want to play it. If they if they want the challenge, that's fine. I, there are some characteristics, if you have a three in them, you really are hopeless. If you have a three constitution and are getting minus three on your hit points every level, you, your character is pretty much hopeless. I don't think you should even bother. Uh, you could make that case probably for dexterity and strength as well, but um, in Whispered Tales, of course. We just say that any stat that's below six just gets raised to six because you, I don't know, it would, the herd would be called <laughs> and it's maybe a little bit pointless to, now I suppose if you had some character where you rolled a bunch of 15s, 16s, 18s, and then you had one three or something, um, Sure, but uh, or a four or five that certainly doesn't make you hopeless, but um, the mathematical probability of that is uh, almost beyond reckoning. All right, all right, this is future Rob, 15 minutes in the future. And have I ever mentioned that math isn't my strong suit? Uh, <laughs> it should be 20 canoes, not 200, which makes it a lot more palatable. Mia culpa. All right, I'm ending here. I promised it wouldn't go on forever today so thanks for the call from joe if you have any comments questions whatever feel free to message me on anchor email me at bigbalboni at gmail.com and until i talk to you again don't go down in a heap hey hey my 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 sword fell apart and i don't know why there's more to this monster than five hit die. Hey, hey, run away.